Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, as we're transitioning, uh, if you're staying in here, I invite you to open your Bibles, 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, or um, follow along in your, uh, in your bulletin for sure. Uh, we are doing a, a short series that we've, we started last week. Uh, the series is entitled uh, Family Meeting, and though it's, we're going to try to do just, just it's three parts, uh, these three different sermons are meant to come together uh, as one cohesive whole, one cohesive message. So if you weren't here last week, um, which, you know, we're in this weird season. We're, we've got, you know, it's been small crowds um, for worship. Uh, but if you weren't here last week or weren't able to, to listen, I, I humbly ask that you go back and make time some point this week uh, and listen to last week, um, last week's sermon. Uh, because as mentioned last week, we're, we're doing this series for two primary reasons. One, and, and this is what last week was primary about, uh, one is, you know, it's possible to, uh, you know, to look like the church, to talk like the church, to dress like the church, and even have the name church on the sign out front of the church, and yet not be the church that Jesus died to save, uh, not be the church that Jesus established. And so it's not only possible, but oh so common, that what many consider to be a, quote, good church community actually has nothing to do with the gospel or gospel community, but rather it's just another ingrown social club, which is not the church. Um, and also, there are not only some, but many, like many, many Christians who grew up in churches that talked in everything. I mean everything except the gospel of God's grace to us in Jesus. You know, people say, and we hear this a lot, people say, look, I, I'm just I'm trying to get to heaven. I, I, I'm, just, I, I'm just working and trying to make God happy. I'm just trying not to feel so guilty. To which I want to say when I hear that, and of course I, I'm way nicer than this, but I want to say, you're like, what Hallmark movie are you getting that from? What I want to say is if that is what you're consistently hearing in your church, then you need to leave that church like right now. That is not the gospel. No, to, to better or to help explain the gospel, uh, one of my mentors, Ray Cortez, he uses this exercise as kind of this you know, thought experiment. He says, imagine, imagine there's a couple, a, a husband and a wife, uh, and the, the couple has one, one child, one, one son. And someone broke into their home and killed their son. Well, well the murderer was caught. I mean, there, there was no question as to his guilt. He did it. He was, he was tried, he was sentenced, and he was taken to prison. But the couple, instead of hating that murderer, went down to the prison and forgave the murderer. Um, okay, if that happened in real life... Uh, would that be grace? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be grace. You know, the murderer has earned, the, the murderer has merited their wrath. Like he's earned their hatred, their disdain. That's what he's merited, right? That's what he deserves even. But those parents gave him unmerited, 
undeserved kindness, love, and, and favor. Like we would call that grace. Okay, but, but here's the thing. That is not the grace that we find in the gospel. That is, is not the grace Jesus died for the Father to lavish upon those who are in him. It's more than that. Now suppose that the, the parents went down to the jail and they not only forgave the murderer, but somehow got the murderer out of prison and brought that murderer home with them. And then they adopted that murderer as their own son, and then they gave him their son's bedroom. They gave that man, they gave him their son's name, and they gave him their son's inheritance. You know, if that happened in real life, somebody did that, what would we call that? You know, crazy. We would call that stupid, right? Like, who in the world would, like, please, let's go talk to them. We would call that stupid. What's Mr. It is stupid, and it is crazy. It is stupid, crazy grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a what? A really good person like me. A person working really hard to get to heaven like me. No, no, what is the gospel? Like, it is astounding. It is amazing grace that saved and adopted and loves and blesses an undeserving wretch like me. And so what we've got to see is that we're saved by God's crazy, stupid grace to us in Jesus, or we're not saved. It's just that. And so we've got to keep coming back to that because that is so counter to everything that we experience and run into in our world. It's such a different message. And so we keep coming back to that, and then we see, okay, having been saved by this crazy, stupid grace, what does it mean then to follow the Jesus way? To, to pursue holiness by God's grace. So that's why we keep coming back to that. But then the second reason for this series is to bring us into a season of, of preparing to nominate new church officers. You know, this is a time, like a very intentional time for us to stop and to pray and to think, uh, to have conversations. Um, and, and some of you may ask why. Some have asked, like, do the set, have the session tap some of the people in the church to be officers? To that I say, no. Like, that is the congregation's job. I, I don't know. I don't know who's going to be nominated. All I know is, is we, need, we need officers, and so we're having nominations. And, and so I don't mean to sound melodramatic, uh, but these nominations and elections will affect you and your family. Uh, likely on a more profound level than any presidential election. Because this will shape Westminster for years to come. Uh, it, it's imp so important that, you know, God gives us kind of general, you know, he doesn't tell us what kind of music we need to have in worship. He, he kind of gives us general, you know, principles that are laid out. But this is one thing that God is so, it, it's so he thinks it's so important that God was very specific, laid out very clear specifications for the church leaders that we need. And so with all that, let's pray, uh, and then we'll dive in and hear the elders that we need. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to your word. Help us to see. May, may our, our eyes open through your spirit um, to see that what we're hearing here is so counter to everything we experience in this world. And yet at the same time, it may be that it is the most true thing we've ever known.
that we are very needy and that we need you, and yet you are the, the, the sovereign God who meets our need perfectly. Oh, Lord, thank you that you um, love us, and yet you give us your word to guide us. So, Lord, now through your spirit, as we read and unpack this, come and show us the way. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. First Timothy 3, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And then God's word to us in Titus 1. Paul writes, This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. It's God's word. You know, since many of you, I look at like, I know some of you are just like born and raised Presbyterian forever, forever and always Presby's, right? Uh, but for many of you, uh, come from all sorts of church backgrounds. Uh, for some of you, this may be the first Presbyterian church you've ever been a part of. And so it, it may be important for us all just to kind of get on the same page before we launch into this elder business. Because when, when people think about Presbyterians, here are some of the stereotypes you hear. Um, frozen chosen, right? Uh, Presbyterians are, have a history of kind of being like maybe well-educated, but educated people who think they know more about theology than everyone else. Um, or you may hear that all Presbyterians talk, we just talk about predestination. That's really the only thing we believe in is predestination, right? Um, and, okay, and, and some of those may be fair critiques that we need to hear. And yes, we do believe that the Bible clearly teaches that our God is a sovereign God. Yet, none of that is what a Presbyterian means. None of, none of that is what Presbyterian means. Now, it comes down to the question of, okay, we all know that Jesus is the head of the church, but under Jesus, under him, who is responsible for the government, leadership, and soul care of the local church? Well, and this is, this is big picture. We could unpack all, all of these things much more. 
But Baptist churches and maybe many non-denom churches or congregational churches, um, they would say, well, all that is really is purely democratic. It's, it's the congregation. The congregation runs the congregation. And though if you have Baptist friends or have talked about this, you know that, that in, in actuality that's pretty clunky. And really what happens in reality is if there's a strong alpha preacher or a strong alpha deacon, they're really the ones who usually run the church. Everybody else just kind of does what they want. Uh, Methodist, Anglican, and Episcopalian churches, of course, are all churches that come from kind of the same tree. All, you know, they've got local committees, of course, but, but ultimately it's the bishop. Um, and in the case of the Catholic Church, ultimately it's the Pope and the archbishops and cardinals that, that run the, the church. The authority for them is, is top-down. Okay, but, but Presbyterians believe that there's another form of church government which is more biblical and thus more appropriate for the local church. As we saw in our passage in Titus, Paul left Titus in order that he may appoint elders in every town. And of course, back then there was just one church per town, which means to appoint elders in every church. And those elders, those local church elders, not Paul, those local elders were responsible for the sole care of those local congregations. Well, the Greek word for elder in that passage there is presbyteros. And so since the early church appears, if you read your Bible, it appears to be ruled by presbyteros. We just, well, look, Presbyterians are not creative bunch. Very simple. Um, we just borrow the Greek word for elder and say, well, the early church was ruled by elders. I think that's probably a good idea to do today. And so we just borrowed their word, the Greek word for elders, presbyteros, and we said, well, let's just call ourselves Presbyterians because we're ruled by elders. So that's, that's what a Presbyterian is. But a bit more, in Titus we see that each local congregation was also led by a, a, a plurality of elders. It's a plural there, meaning that he didn't just appoint just one guy to run the whole church. No bishop, no pope here. Uh, and it's not even really one, one really strong pastor or one really strong-headed elder making all the decisions. But it's, it's, it's a group of elders. And in, in our church, we call that group of elders the session. Fun fact, if there's only one elder in a church, then there is no session. That church has no session. You've got to have at least two. I mean, that's how serious this plurality of, of elders is. Uh, so plurality. But then... We also see that the Bible teaches the parity of elders. Uh, and parity just means equality of elders, which means there's no ranking tier system as to how the elders rank. You know, which, which, they're, they're, all, they're all the same. No elder has more weight than the other. And in churches, it's common to view the pastor or, or the teaching elder uh, in kind of a slightly different category than ruling elders. Um, which is understandable in a way because the pastor has been like, called of God to preach the gospel. And it's not just this once-a-month business meeting that they attend. It, like, this is their life. This is their livelihood. This is their, their all. And he's had seminary training, and he's been vetted, and he's had to endure ordination trials, and it's been this whole long, difficult, thorough process. And so we see that kind of that calling is kind of in a different category from local elders. Okay? But, and hope maybe this is the fact of the week for us, 
This is so huge. We may see it that way, but Scripture does not see it that way. In Scripture, that is not the case. What we see in the early church is there is no difference of call. Not a, no difference of call between me or any of our other elders. No difference of call. Now, in, in the Bible, there's, there's a difference in function of some of the elders. You know, there are some elders who function like, like me or the pastor, who we, we function kind of in, in the teaching, preaching way. There is a difference of function, but there is no difference in call. Which means, if we hold to that, the same expectations that you have for a pastor that validates his call in your eyes is also the same lens through which you hold ruling elders. Same thing. Leonard Van Horn wrote, he says, We have to wonder how much sorrow and grief has been caused in the church by having men occupy the office of ruling elder without ever having been called to say nothing of not being qualified. And what we mean here is not the call of like somebody called you and said, hey, I think you need to serve as elder. No, the calling is like the calling of God in your life, and we're going to get to what that means. It's this desiring the noble task. And so, by the way, this is, I mean, this is heavy. This is really heavy. Well, in what time we have left, let's just try to tackle two things. One, um, who, who an elder is? Who is an elder? And, and second, what does an elder do? First, who is an elder? And, and real quick, I hope we don't see this as a, a checklist of things that we just got to do, um, but rather this is simply a description of someone who is already walking with Jesus. You know, these are, are spirit-wrought qualities that are already present in the person that you wish to nominate. Which means that there's not a magical event that happens in which all these qualities are infused upon this individual once they are ordained as an elder. Okay? It's not like, you know, you date this guy, you marry this guy, and you know you're going to change this guy, and then you realize, oh, man, I just can't change him. Um, so Paul begins by saying an elder desires a noble task, meaning that these, these are men who don't just want the title, but in their heart... Like they have a desire, a burning in the bones, so to speak, to the work of the elder. They're, they're looking to serve, title or not. Paul continues, an elder must be above reproach. Uh, that doesn't mean they're perfect. Of course not. Uh, that means you know, they repent of their private sins privately, their public sins publicly. Uh, what that means is their integrity is beyond question. That if they were to fall into a scandalous sin, I mean, it would totally shock you. Paul says they're well thought of by outsiders. Um, this, this literally means a, a beautiful witness. Um, you know, what's their reputation in town? You know, not only can they put on a show in church and make everybody think they're nice, but like the town, even non-believers, see these qualities in them. The husband of one wife. Uh, this simply means an elder is a one-woman man. He's not considered a flirt by other people. Uh, his wife, he's faithful to his wife, and, and she is his standard of beauty. And if you think about it, if a man can't be faithful to his bride, then how can he be trusted to be faithful to the bride of Christ? Sober-minded, self-controlled, not a drunkard. These are all really related. Um, this is someone you can trust not to make a rash decision. 
You know, someone you can trust to follow sound reasoning, who can hear an argument all the way through before jumping to conclusion. And, and with the, the drunkard, Paul obviously not talking about being a teetotaler, but what the Bible says literally is, is those who linger beside the wine. It's nothing wrong with the wine. It's just, it's, you know, there's some who just kind of hang out at the wine a little too long, a little too often. Um, who give themselves to the drink. So these three are all really related to self-control. There, there's a character of self-control that is being developed and present. Paul continues, he says, not violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And, and look, we know this, money's not the problem. Mon- money's never itself, like money's never hurt anybody. But it's the love of money, it's the obsessive pursuit of it that that renders this man disqualified. It's the root of all kinds of evil. You know, if your love is money, then one, it means you miss the gospel, but two, it means you'll never have time for your spouse, you'll never have time for your kids, uh, much less the church. You know, Solomon said, he who loves money never has enough money. He never has enough. He's never satisfied. Violent, quarrelsome, uh, means to be, you know, those mean to be, to be drunk with rage. And, and listen, obviously, it's okay to be angry. <laughs> From time, Jesus was angry, right? Uh, but Paul's saying elders should not be known as hotheads. And you know, you know, maybe we know some people, you kind of have to tiptoe around, you kind of walk on eggshells around, because you know the slightest move would just oh, cause them to lose it, right? And so what we're seeing, what we're finding is bullies... Hotheads are not qualified to be elders, to which we all may say, well, duh. But this has been many of our experience. Never underestimate a bully, okay? Because they always seem to find their way onto the session. Always. Uh, And y'all are the ones who put them there. So just be aware, okay? And then I have to deal with this person, okay? Um, But we all know people who just love to argue, right? Right? to, to debate for debate's sake. They're, they're constantly the devil's advocate. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. They're going to take an opposing, uh, you know, an opposing view just to kind of debate. And there's nothing wrong with I mean, debate is good and it can be healthy. There's certainly a lot of debate within the session. But men who love to quarrel and argue, like you get them in with other elders and all their incessant arguing does is distract from the mission of the church. You know, instead of us actually like moving in a direction we should be moving, we never move because we're constantly arguing about whatever this dude wants to argue about. This is one of the reasons Paul adds in verse 6 that he must not be a recent convert because you want your elders to have lived long enough to know that they don't know everything and long enough not to be shocked by sin, long enough to know that life can be extremely messy and long enough to know that often people don't need to be told what to do, though there are times we do, as much as people need someone to walk with them through it. So Paul says the elder you need is gentle, he's humble. Uh, one, because that's what Jesus is like. So far from being, you know, we've seen the, as the principles of the church, we've got to go see the principle. Far from that, we should see uh, the, the elders as men who are marked by the gentleness of our Savior, we're not afraid to talk to them. You know, they, they hold babies and pray over the sick and they give you the time of day. 
Paul says they manage their own households well, which means they're, they're not absentee dads. They're leaders in their home. And I'm really gonna, I'm, we're going to hit on more of that next week with the deacons, so we're just going to move on from that. Um, they are leaders in their homes. And then Paul mentions hospitality. That elders are men who, having experienced the gospel hospitality of Jesus, of Jesus bringing them in, in turn are themselves made hospitable. I mean, you know, it's interesting that often we can put this whole hospitality part on the wives, right? And I know I, I have. Um, but hospitality isn't a qualification for an elder's wife. Do you know that? No, hospitality is a qualification for the elder to have. And so it doesn't mean what HGTV has made it to mean. It, it doesn't mean that you've got to have this, this wonderful kitchen with that really fancy ice maker that makes the sonic ice, right? But if you haven't, invite me over because I love that ice. Um, like if you have great things, that's great. You use those great things um, for God's glory. But what a, an elder is someone who regardless of the setting sees themselves as a host. Even in this congregation, sees themselves as a host. Uh, which means that they see it as their role to, to go to those who are on the outside and to, to bring them in, to bring them into the party, bring them into the family. At home, in the parking lot, in the sanctuary, like wherever, you create a space where people feel safe and comfortable enough to be honest, and you create a space where like real gospel conversation can be had. And then finally, um, and if not most importantly, it's definitely near the top, an elder is a man who is marked by grace. An elder is a gracious man. Paul told Titus, he said, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. And y'all remember how in the early church, and we talked about this a lot in Galatians, but in the early church there were people who said, Look, look, we, we all love Jesus. But it's not just about Jesus saving you. It's not that simple. You know, you, you got to have Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus you got to shape up. Jesus plus you got to be circumcised. Jesus plus you got to do something. Well, some things never change, do they? Because that heresy is still very much alive and well in the church today. And Paul says, those Jesus plus people... They will train wreck your church. They must be silenced. And so we have to be careful because in the South, sometimes those are the exact people we're tempted to nominate as officers. And so in short, you're looking for someone who has found Jesus to be the lover of their souls. And in response to that, um, they're not the perfect person, but Jesus has made them humble He's made them repentant, and he's made them gracious. And Paul says, look, I know this, we, we could talk weeks on this, but Paul says, in a nutshell, that's the elder you need. Okay? That's, who, that's who he is. But then secondly, that brings us to the next question. What does the elder that we need do? Like, what's an elder do? What's the job of an elder? Well, in no particular order, the job of an elder can be summarized in th three areas, which, look, all these areas overlap. All of them overlap. Um, and here they are. They're ruling, teaching, and shepherding. Uh, so first, ruling. An elder rules. And, and I suppose <laughs> ruling is kind of an old word that we don't like. Cause like, as, like As Americans, we don't want anybody ruling us. Um, but simply, 
It just means the buck has to stop somewhere. The buck stops with the elders. It means an elder makes decisions on behalf of the church, that the elder makes judgments that affect the church. And, and to be frank, you know, this is something that not everyone's comfortable doing. Um, you have to be okay being unpopular occasionally to make stances and to make judgments. Um, you have to be okay with not everybody loving you in, in the moment. Um, and so that's something that not everybody wants to do. You know, if, if, if a man is afraid to take a stand, even like a, an unpopular stand in their home, then they'll also be afraid to make a stand in the church. Um, you know, we hear that phrase and we have it in our membership questions. You know, do you promise to pursue, to study the, the peace and purity of the church? Well, much of the ruling that elders do is in attempts to keep the church pure, to keep the wolves out. Um, so, so ruling. Um, second, it, it means teaching. This one's a little more obvious. The, the elders oversee the pulpit. They oversee the Sunday school classes, the Bible studies, to ensure that the pure, like unfiltered, uncut gospel is being taught in the church. That's another way you keep the wolves out. And, and, and they too are able to teach it. Now, now that doesn't mean that they're the most gifted preacher you've ever heard, but what it means is all elders are able to clearly communicate and teach the gospel message, be it in Sunday school class, be it on the phone, be it over a cup of coffee, wherever. They're able to teach and that's what he said, Paul said in Titus, they're able to speak with others and say, no, 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 that's not the gospel. It's this lovingly rebuke of, no, no, you've got it wrong. Like, come back. This is what, this is what the Bible teaches. That's it. So teaching. And, and then third, and this will be how we close. You could even argue most fundamentally an elder is a shepherd. A shepherd. You know, throughout the Bible, God describes our relationship to him as, as a sheep-shepherd relationship. You know, we're the sheep, he, he's the shepherd, and uh, which, though we can all think oh so highly of ourselves, you know, if, if we're honest, this whole sheep-shepherd dynamic explains life. It makes life make much more sense, right? That we're the sheep, he's the shepherd. Because sheep are, um, well, sheep are needy. And sheep never outgrow their need of a shepherd to care for them, to lead them, to protect them. I mean, sheep are so helpless. You know, they need a shepherd. If a shepherd puts them in a pasture, like, they need a shepherd to take them to another pasture, or they'll just sit there and eat, and eat the grass, and then eat the dirt until they starve to death and die. Um, we need shepherds. Shepherds lead. They lead the sheep to greener pastures. Uh, they make the sheep healthy. Uh, they need a, sheep need a shepherd to fend off the wolves. You know, sheep are prone to, to wander off. Uh, if, you know, we're not, we, if we don't have parameters, we, we, we wander off. We know sheep are, are prone to get stuck in ditches, prone to worry, prone to fear. Uh, that's why Psalm 23, that, that's the anthem of our lives. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, that means that God as the shepherd, he's looking over his sheep and he knows his sheep. And he knows which sheep has a bad back leg and which sheep need, has, is prone to kind of wander off. And, and he knows what we need. God is our shepherd. We shall not want. We, we lack nothing because he gives us what we, we need. Um, 
You know, it's easy to forget that. I know it's easy for me. And, and to let the cares of the world weigh us down. And we think, we think that the world is on our shoulders. But God says, look, ch- chill. You've got to remember who you are. <laughs> you are a sheep. You are a sheep whom God gathers in His arms and carries close to His heart. And so, of course, you're overwhelmed. Of course you're scared. Of course you're wandering. Of course you're see- I mean, you're, you're seeking life apart from the shepherd. Um, y- y'all probably remember 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, there was this movement in the self-help world and productivity world that was all about getting more done. You know, life hacks, let's, let's make the most of things. Um, Casey Neistat is one of the Neistat brothers. Casey Neistat was one of the first... Uh, I guess on YouTube you got these people who do daily vlogs. You know, he he would he would release basically a short film every single day, just work, work, work. Um, he was so um, driven that he even had a, this tattoo thing, this word tattooed on his arm that said "work harder, work harder, get more done." And and a lot of people idolized Casey as this man. He's he's getting it. Um, well, fast forward about twenty years. And uh, Casey Neistat doesn't pop, he doesn't make a movie every day anymore. Um, it almost cost him his marriage, cost him his kids, almost cost him his life. And what he realized, and I don't know if he's a believer, but we would say what he's realized is he's a sheep. That no one can maintain that type of that that, that type of schedule. We're sheep. Uh, we're we're not made to travel at that pace. Um, so, you know, maybe you or, or maybe a loved one is lost, hurting, um, just not in a good place. I guess it's not easy being a sheep. I, I wish we could be something else. But we do have a shepherd who has promised us that he will not stop until all of his sheep are safe and sound in his embrace. And so I've got to ask, do you believe that? Like, is that just preacher talk? I mean, do you actually believe that there's a sovereign God who is ruling and reigning and who sent His Son to die for you. And, th- and this, this sovereign God is not going to stop until He has all of His sheep safely within His pasture. If you believe that, I-, I think life would be a little more peaceful, maybe less hectic. In Ezekiel, what Brian read this morning, God says, I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Tim Whitmer writes, The shepherd cares for the newborn lambs, and is still there shepherding when the sheep grow old and weak. From the cradle to the grave, and everywhere in between the shepherd is there. Well, you know, a lot of that's Old Testament imagery. But what we find is when we get to the New Testament, all that, all that shepherd imagery is found in one person, namely Jesus. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says something like, I am the good shepherd. But then he says something very unusual. He said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That was, that was crazy because in the ancient world, uh, earthly shepherds didn't die for their flock. No, no, it's their job to live because if the wolf kills the shepherd, what do you think the wolf's going to do to the sheep? I mean, if the shepherd dies, all of them die. But yet Jesus is tapping into something else. Jesus knew that we had a deeper problem. 
that all we like sheep had gone astray. And the only way He could care for, protect, and gather us in was by His laying down His life for us so that in Him we could have life. That's the gospel message. Okay. But here's the thing. When Jesus rose from the, rose from the dead, you know, we, we can now rise in life because of that. When Jesus rose and then He ascended into heaven, He didn't leave us without a shepherd. No, He had every intention of continuing to provide shepherding care for His sheep through the Holy Spirit which He sent and then through His people. Remember His final words to Peter and John, the Gospel of John. Peter, the first church leader, was a call to to shepherd the flock. Shepherd, which means at Westminster, that privilege, responsibility, and call from Jesus to shepherd is on the elders. And yes, oh man, we pale in comparison to Jesus in so many ways. But nonetheless, it is our job to care for the congregation and to point them to Jesus. You know, it's, it's our job to, in however we can, to, to go out and to bring the strays in and, and, and to, to bring people back into the fold um, under Jesus. You know, shepherds know their sheep, which means elders should to some degree know the congregation. And that's hard because a congregation is constantly kind of changing um, to be amongst the congregation. And the congregation needs to know the elders. And besides, like, isn't it easier to trust and in some ways even to be, you know, quote, submissive to the ruling of a session when you know the session, and the session knows you. And I mean, isn't it a little easier? Well, we all need our great shepherd. But in the meantime, his word tells us that he's called under shepherds, elders, to rule, to teach, and to shepherd until he returns. And what's Mr. Those are the elders we need. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the fact that you just laid out just so clearly the qualifications of the church office of elder. And so as we approach this season of thinking, talking, uh, nominating, uh, Lord, I pray that, that you would guide that process. And uh, Lord, that you would raise up men after your own heart, uh, men who seek to, to shepherd, teach, rule um, your people for your glory. Uh, Lord, we love your church. Uh, want it to be healthy. So Lord, we ask that you would bless Westminster, that you would bless the other churches in town. Uh, cause us to be more biblical. Cause us to be more in love with the gospel. Uh, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.